old pilot's plain tales, the buff. I've been looking for a suitable opportunity to tackle the subject of what is without doubt one of the most iconic, long-serving and remarkable military aircraft ever conceived. But after meeting it in person whilst flying the Phantom and more recently at Wings over Pittsburgh, a quick glance at this day in aviation gave me the perfect excuse. As I write this, the date is the 21st of May 2017, and I'm looking at an image of Life magazine from back in 1956, which has the face of Major David Critchlow gracing the cover, as he looked out of the open cockpit window of his B-52B Stratofortress, named Barbara Grace, after both his wife and his mother. He had just completed a mission to drop the second test weapon of Operation Red Wing. The weapon in question was the TX-15X1 two-stage radiation implosion thermonuclear bomb weighing 6,867 pounds, a little over three metric tons. Getting airborne from the Marshall Islands, the crew consisted of four majors, a colonel observing, a lieutenant in charge of timing, and a sergeant who presumably made the tea when he wasn't fixing the radar. This drop was to be a demonstration to the world that the USA could air deliver multi-megaton yield thermonuclear weapons using the B-52 and was the first airdrop on Bikini Atoll. Everything was set up with the instrumentation surrounding the huge target marked on the ground of Namu Island for Mission Red Wing Cherokee to drop its airburst weapon. Amongst those monitoring the test was Airman First Class Jackson Kilgore. This man was about to receive a serious reprimand. Why, you may ask? Well, very unfortunately, despite the seniority of the personnel involved, the crew, flying in at 50,000 feet, misidentified their targeting beacon for an observation facility on a different island. The bomb missed Namu Island by four miles, detonating at 4,350 feet over the open ocean to the northeast. As a consequence, most of the test data was lost, a fact that Airman First Class Kilgore revealed to the world, resulting in some extremely embarrassed Air Force generals and an impressive chastising for the airmen. The B-52, commonly known as the Buff, which starts as Big Ugly Fat and ends with an expletive, started life in the loving hands of a Boeing engineering team, consisting of George Shire, Art Carlson and Vaughan Blumenthal. They were in Dayton, Ohio, presenting the latest turboprop bomber proposal to the Air Force Chief of Bomber Development. Disappointed with the design, the team were asked if they could come up with a proposal for a four-engine turbojet bomber. By chance, Boeing's Ed Wells and two other top engineers were in town, and over the weekend they worked on what was essentially a new aircraft. 
The new design was basically a B-47 Stratojet with 35-degree swept wings, eight engines paired in four pods, and a bicycle undercarriage with the ability to pivot by at least 20 degrees to aid in crosswind landings and outrigger wingtip wheels. With the team working on weight and performance data, Shire rushed out to a hobby shop for materials to build a model, and Wells, also a skilled artist, provided a complete set of aircraft drawings. On Sunday, a stenographer was hired to type out the proposal, and, first thing on Monday morning, the Air Force was presented with a neatly bound, 33-page proposal and a 14-inch scale model. After some design changes, which included a side-by-side cockpit rather than the original tandem seating, Boeing was awarded the contract for 13 B-52As. The YB-52 first flew on the 15th of April 1952 with Tex Johnson as the pilot. Unlike his flying of the Boeing 707 prototype, which included barrel rolling it, Johnson kept things smooth and steady, and the resulting test flights went very well. The Air Force soon upped their order to 282 aircraft. Only a few B-52As were built, all of which were used by Boeing for testing. The contract was updated to a new specification and the next 10 became B-52Bs. On the rollout ceremony in March 1954, the Air Force Chief of Staff said, The long rifle was the great weapon of its day. Today, this B-52 is the long rifle of the air age. For those not familiar with this remarkable leviathan of the air, the Stratofortress stands over 40 feet tall and nearly 160 feet in length with a span of 185 feet. Its maximum takeoff weight is 488,000 pounds or nearly 220 metric tons. It has a range of well over 7,000 nautical miles and can reach 50,000 feet. It began with a crew of six, the two pilots up front, with the radar bombardier and navigator facing forwards behind and below them. The electronic warfare officer is on the same level as the pilots, but well behind and facing backwards, with the lonely rear gunner initially positioned with his 4.50 Brownings in the rear of the aircraft. The only man without an ejector seat. Later versions automated these rear guns and moved the relieved gunner to a bang seat next to the EWO. The Brownings were replaced by the stupendous M61 Vulcan cannon and finally in 1991 the tail gun was removed entirely. Over the next seven years a multitude of versions were to be built from A to H and the order increased from the initial 282 airframes to 744, with the last B-52H being delivered in October 1962. The rapid level of modification saw the aircraft transformed in capability, range, power and performance. Its operational roles were expanded to include reconnaissance, 
heavy loads of conventional bombs, updated avionics, bombing and navigational equipment, and external fuel tanks. Bratton Whitney J57P43W turbojets were installed and fitted with water injection. Its weapon-carrying capability has been modified throughout its life to encompass the most modern of systems. All in all, the Buff has turned out to be a most flexible war machine, reflected by its remarkably long life. Early in its existence, the Stratofortis had its share of problems. The split-level crew compartment meant that, to keep the pilots cool in direct sunlight, the rear crew, near the ice-cold floor, froze. The fuel system was prone to leaks and freezing, the J57 engines were unreliable, and an alternator failure caused the first crash. However, it set records too. Four B-52Bs and four Cs flew non-stop around the perimeter of North America, some 13,500 nautical miles, in 31 hours 30 minutes. And then three B-52Bs flew non-stop around the world, 21,145 nautical miles, in 45 hours 19 minutes. For such a blunt aircraft, it even set a world speed record of 519 knots over a closed 2,700 nautical mile circuit. It also set unrefueled distance records of 10,895 nautical miles. Operationally, the aircraft also proved to be a very capable machine. Throughout the Cold War, the B-52 performed airborne patrols loitering at high altitude near the borders of the Soviet Union to provide a rapid first strike or retaliation force. With the advent of accurate high-altitude anti-aircraft missile systems, the Stratofortress proved equally capable of a low-altitude role. During the Vietnam War, B-52s were fitted with external bomb racks, allowing the carrying of 24 750-pound bombs. Later, the internal bomb bay was modified to carry an additional 84 500-pound bombs, increasing the total capacity to 108 bombs. These missions were initially flown from Guam, necessitating a 12-hour round trip. Operating in the hostile environment of North Vietnam gave rise to losses, and in total 31 buffs were lost. However, their tail gunners accounted for three MiG-21 fishbeds. B-52 strikes were also an important part of Operation Desert Storm, when a flight completed a 35-hour mission from Louisiana and back to hit targets in Iraq. This attack opened the coalition offensive, firing 35 cruise missiles and destroying 85 to 95% of their targets. Conventional attacks were also performed by a flight of three, which dropped a total of 459 750-pound bombs in a one-and-a-half square mile area, so demoralizing the Iraqi troops that many immediately surrendered. During the conflict, the B-52s flew 1,620 sorties, delivering 40% of the weapons dropped by the coalition. The only damage done during this conflict was when a harm anti-radiation missile 
from the coalition side apparently homed onto a B-52's tail gun radar. This jet was subsequently renamed in harm's way. This was the incident which led to the removal of the Buff's rear gun. More recent conflicts in Afghanistan have also employed the Stratofortress's flexibility. Its ability to loiter and deliver precision weapons let it be used in the close air support role in addition to conventional bombing. Operation Iraqi Freedom also saw the buff employed delivering cruise missiles. Indeed, it proved to have the highest mission-capable rate of the three heavy bombers available at 80%, whilst the B-1 only achieved 53% and the B-2 30%. Not all of the B-52's missions have proven to be quite so successful, however. In 1961, a B-52G from a base near Goldsboro, North Carolina, was airborne with a pair of Mark 39 nuclear bombs. At around midnight, it hooked up with the tanker to commence air-to-air refueling. During the procedure, the tanker crew spotted a fuel leak from the Stratofrotches' right wing. They aborted the refuel and took up a holding pattern off the coast to burn off fuel before landing. On getting to his holding position, the commander noticed that the leak had worsened, and in the previous three minutes he had lost 17,000 pounds of fuel. He was immediately ordered to return to the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base near Goldsboro. As the pilots descended the aircraft through 10,000 feet on their approach, the uneven weight of the fuel in only one wing became too much to cope with and they lost control. The order to eject was given and most of the crew bailed out successfully, even the third pilot who had to manually climb out of a hatch. Unfortunately, two died in the crash. When they abandoned the aircraft, it was still intact, but it broke apart before impact, releasing both the nuclear weapons from the bomb bay at about 2,000 feet. The first weapon commenced its arming sequence, with three of the four arming devices activating, including the parachute deployment. When it was found with its parachute gracefully draped over a tree, Lieutenant Jack Ravel, the bomb disposal expert responsible for disarming the device, stated that the arm safe switch was still in the safe position, although it had completed the rest of the arming sequence. The second bomb fell straight to earth at around 700 miles an hour, burying itself in a meadow and disintegrating. Although it too had completed most of its arming sequence, a low voltage switch had prevented it from fully arming. In 2013, Ravel recalled the moment the second bomb switch was found. Until my death, I will never forget hearing my sergeant say, Lieutenant, we found the arm safe switch. And I said, great. He said, not great. It's on arm. Ravel claimed that we came damn close to a nuclear detonation that would have completely changed much of eastern North Carolina. 
He also said the size of each bomb was more than 250 times the destructive power of the Hiroshima bomb. In a now declassified 1969 report entitled Goldsboro Revisited, written by Parker Jones, a supervisor of nuclear safety at Sandia National Laboratories, said, One simple dynamo technology low-voltage switch stood between the United States and a major catastrophe. Evacuation of the second bomb was abandoned as a result of uncontrollable groundwater flooding. Most of the thermonuclear stage containing uranium and plutonium was left in place, but the pit, or core of the bomb, had been dislodged and was removed. The United States Army Corps of Engineers purchased a 400 feet circular plot of the land over the buried component. A visit to Eureka, a town three miles from the incident, will reveal a commemorative sign titled Nuclear Mishap, which tells how widespread nuclear disaster was averted. The B-52 is not an aircraft that is quietly moving into the historic footnotes. It is an important part of the U.S. Air Force's inventory, and for an aircraft conceived in a weekend, it has been an unrivaled success and a credit to its manufacturer, Boeing. Captain David Swoop Welsh flies the B-52 Stratofortress, as did his father, who flew combat missions in it over Vietnam, and his grandfather, who was trained to drop nuclear bombs from it, in the Cold War. Having started its operational life in 1955, as of 2015, 58 were still in active service with 18 in reserve. The aircraft celebrated 60 years of service with its original operator in 2015, and it's expected to serve into the 2040s. (laughs) 